0: And welcome to From the Rookery End uh, and another Watford in 100 Objects episode. My name is John. With me is Mike. A very good day to you, John. And good day to you, sir. And joining us on this podcast will be Ollie Wicken, the writer of Hornet Heaven and part of the team that run the Watford Treasury, as well as blogger, author and major Watford fan Matt Rowson uh, with some very special objects towards the end of the podcast. But what is this Watford in 100 Objects? Basically, we're on the hunt for 100 objects that define Watford Football Club be it Part of being a fan, or being a historic moment, or being uh, a person, a legend within the history of the club. Now we started this a long, long time ago, Mike.
1: Why did we start it? I don't know about you, John, and I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure about everyone listening, but I'm, well, we've been in lockdown. People have been doing a lot of clearing out and looking behind cupboards, looking under beds, looking in lofts, and you start finding all these stuff, don't you? This bits and bobs that remind you of of certain times in in Watford history, and and it basically reinforces that you <laughs> Being a Watford supporter is about so much more than just what happens on the pitch. The results are important, obviously, but as you build up a life, a career of supporting Watford, if you like, it's all the other bits on the periphery that actually make it so rich and interesting uh, and exciting. And I thought we could, a hundred objects is is a lot of things that could come together and try and um, provide a framework, a sort of illustration of just what it's like to be uh, a Watford fan. So uh, that's what we're aiming to do. The last episode, we told you all about Pierre East's stretcher, why that was our first
0: First object. Uh, of course, Jason's knitted Will Frostron, a cardboard cut out of Urn, Mike's brother Andy, Callie's decks, Nigel Callahan's decks, the tight red shorts, and of course, the Watford Observer clock. It's just a the few of the objects we had in the last podcast. But today, we'll be looking at objects 11 to 20. Object 11. Mike, the first object, number 11, that's going in is a Watford 7. Southampton one
1: pen. Have you ever held one of these pens before? I haven't held one in my hands. No, I've only seen seen pictures. And uh, these, I think, are probably one of the uh, mythical is the wrong word because we know they exist. We've we've spoken to people who have uh, have held one, perhaps even written with them, perhaps even owned more than one. So mythical is the wrong word, but. Maybe most sought after items in in Watford history because it's just it, it's a physical embodiment of of an incredible incredible game and obviously the story of the of, of the situation was Watford is the I think Watford were in the second division at the at the time it was the second round of the League Cup back in those days it was uh, it was two legs Watford lost the first leg four nil at the Dell against Southampton so no one no one really gave a much of a uh, of a chance in the, in the second leg and that's what i like about this as well is it probably means that the, I haven't been able to find a, a crowd figure i'm sure someone will be able to furnish us with those those facts but i'd imagine because watford lost the first leg 4-0 there'd have been quite a few people who stayed away for that second leg and will have very very quickly regretted it because watford went on to to win 7-1 the game went to extra time but watford ultimately won that game 7-1 uh, and won the tie 7-5 so an absolutely extraordinary game, an inc- incredible turnaround, and and these days, of course, you'd have had within minutes of the final whistle going, there'd have been a, uh, a commemorative t-shirt, a sweatshirt, DVD would have been available, there'd have been a all sorts of video from sixteen million different angles. But back then, none of that, all that was just a twinkle in uh, the hornet uh, hornet shop uh, manager's eye. So they came up with a, uh, with a with a humble ballpoint pen with the score emblazoned on the side. And, uh, yeah, since then it's just turned into one of those must-have items, isn't it, for, for Watford collectors?
0: Ollie, uh, Mike said uh, that the score was emblazoned on the side of the pen. It isn't a very glamorous piece of merchandise, really, is it? It's basically just a, a, a big pen with some, some print on the side of it.
2: Yes, but what print? My goodness. That uh, win against Southampton was very significant.
0: Why so significant, though?
2: I was at both games. I went to the 4-0 down at Southampton, and we were dreadful. It was an absolute humiliation down there. Probably people forget the context, but Southampton were riding high in the top division at that stage. They had Kevin Keegan. They had Charlie George. They were doing really, really well. As Mike said, most people would have thought, well, let's not go and... uh, bother watching this second leg because it's going to be further humiliation and I was at school in Watford at the time and I think Graham Taylor, did he come before the game? It might have been after the game to uh, to talk about it but he came and did a talk at the school and it was such a, such a high spot of the club's existence at that point because we'd gone up from Division 4 and Division 3 in consecutive seasons. And it, we just had the sense that Division 2 was a little bit difficult. But to uh, come back from a 4 defeat in the first leg and win 7-1 on the night uh, was just an extraordinary thing.
0: It was a historic game, uh, not one that uh, was in the top flight or or got us to a, a to a final. But at that point in the club's history, it was magnificent. And the pen, even though... To the untrained eye, it isn't magnificent. It is a wonderful piece of Watford history that many, many Watford fans still hold very close to their heart. Object 12. There are some big people we have to include in this list, but there are some big games as well. We started this list almost nine, ten years ago, and we're trying to complete it. Uh, during these little ten episodes, we're going to be doing whilst the season is on pause. Mike, but since we started this, there's been some huge games that we need to find some objects for, and we need the the help of people listening to help us
1: find objects to uh, to define these games. Like you say we've been doing this we've been putting together this list for, for a while and in that time we've been lucky We've been to see some incredible football, some incredible moments on the pitch. We've been rewarded yet again for, uh, for being Watford supporters haven't we? We've just seen, I'm shaking my head now just thinking about it, just th- looking back on, on some of the things that, that we've experienced. Obviously the, one of the most recent ones was the FA Cup semi-final turnaround against Wolves. Perhaps even you could look at the Cup final itself, an incredible day in itself wasn't it? We had a wonderful time as a podcast family that that day all our you know our kids and and relatives got together. and then there was the incredible display that afternoon, even though that things went desperately uh, badly on the pitch off the pitch, the Watford fans were were absolutely incredible. so that turned that into a into a memorable day. There was of course the Troy Deeney goal, the playoffs. There's just been a litany of extraordinary games. And yes, we need to somehow encapsulate those and make sure that that they are represented in this list somehow. So that's
0: what everyone has to do. Get your thinking caps on. uh, Have a look through your boxes and and memories, really, of what could represent. Maybe something that represented the day. As Mike said, that FA Cup final wasn't really a great game, but it was a, a great day. What could you you use to represent uh, that and all these major games that we've had? But, of course, there are games in the past that we must talk about. The next object is Gerard Lavin's boot. This was put to us by established author and journalist, a massive Watford fan, Lionel Burney. When he came on the podcast, when we started putting this together, he spoke about some very significant games from the 1990s, which do need to be represented somehow. One of those games in particular, he picked what some may think as a slightly weird, maybe controversial object.
3: I think some of the more fascinating matches are the ones that happened during perhaps not quite so glorious times mm-hmm. so in the uh, early to mid-90s you know, when we have come out of the top division and we're just kind of treading water in the division we're in now which back then was called Division 2 and then it became Division 1 now it's the championship just to, to <laughs> confuse matters there was a match against Oxford in 1991 away where Watford had to win to stay up I don't know what the capacity of the terrace at the manor ground was but it was absolutely rammed that day I don't know if you were there Jay. No, I mean, it was just one of those games where everything seemed to hinge on this one result if Watford won they would definitely be safe uh, they still have one more game to try and save themselves but there must be something relating to a game like that or perhaps a League Cup win over Leeds in 1992 Yeah, Leeds were League champions they had Eric Cantona Gordon Strachan Gary McAllister we knocked them out of the League Cup at the time when the team wasn't doing a great deal in the league results like that really made a season yes, Yeah, definitely. Yes, and we had the 4-3 win over Bolton where we were 3-0 down and Gary Ford scored yeah that, scored a hat-trick in about 20 minutes, won 4-3 at Peterborough, when literally everything hinged on that. And as the match wore on, it was left to a very special
4: moment for one young Watford star. A real moment to savour. Gerard Lavin, the goal of the night watched by his family from nearby Corby. Youngster Gerard Lavin, one of the finds of the season for Watford. A
3: personable young man off it, and a man of considerable talent on it. I'd like to propose the boot Gerard Lavin scored that goal against Peterborough with. I mean, it was uh, from about, well, it was probably only about 25 or 30 yards, but in my mind it was from 75 yards. <laughs> and it just flew. I mean, the the pitch at Peterborough that night was horrendous. It was bobbly and hard. It was one of those kind of, if uh, I'm right in thinking, it was sort of April time. Both teams were absolutely in the mire. We had to win that game to stay up we went behind very early on and then it was an awful, awful game of football it was it was a sort of circus performance of a game if a car had driven onto the pitch and the doors had fallen off and then you know there'd been an explosion you wouldn't have been surprised it was, it, was, it was that terrible but there was this one moment of absolute genius from Gerard Lavin and I never thought I'd say those words in that particular but he struck this shot and I was on that terrace and I can just remember thinking that's in as soon as he Ticket. like I say oh. from 75 or 80 yards <laughs> so Gerard Lavin's boot maybe it's in the back of his cupboard somewhere
2: <laughs> <laughs> object 13 is something that probably I think
0: everybody has I have I have four of them and my wife particularly wants me to get rid of them even though she did actually buy me one not that long ago. It's a Watford mug. Mike, how many Watford mugs do you reckon you've got in your house? Uh, do you
1: know what? None. None? And I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why. I love stuff like this, and I had one that I cherished for a long time. I bought it when I was a, a kid with my hard-earned uh, pennies in the Hornet shop. It was uh, one of the old-school ones. It must have been about 80, 87 when I bought it. I loved this thing so, so, so much, so much, and it broke and along with that mug, it broke my heart. And oh. I haven't, I can't bring myself to own anything that is so easily breakable. I've got two young kids. Those of you who know Arlo know that he's a million miles an hour things don't stay in one piece when it comes to him um very often so I can't bring myself to risk getting attached to something that I know I love so much <laughs> only only to get it broken it's self preservation but they these are among my favorite things of, of Watford memorabilia if I had the guts I'd probably if I was going to get into collecting I think this is the sort of thing that I could well get into I saw on the um I think it was the old Watford uh, Facebook page the other day someone posted one that they'd picked up in a in a charity shop in you know nowhere near Watford uh, that Sort of in the Midlands somewhere. It was a thing of beauty. It had the. It was white with the, um, with the 80s Watford text on it, and the and the tackling men motif it was just absolutely glorious and I just had to stop myself asking the guy how much he wanted for it because I knew how much he'd love it <laughs> so it was going to be a pointless exercise and I knew I'd be on that slippery slope to collecting mugs which would make me even more of a, uh, a sad case than I am already so I own none but there's a reason for it but I absolutely ad- adore these pieces of kit I think they are just, they sum up football fandom so so well
0: The mug that we're putting in was nominated by Tim Turner uh, he sent us this email to say why he picked this particular mug.
4: If I had to nominate one item for your list, it would be a coffee mug that must be nearly 40 years old. It still gets used regularly, maintaining the link between the 11-year-old boy who got it as a present years before I ever tasted coffee or tea and the 48-year-old me, still watching the same team at the same ground, drinking out of the same mug.
2: Object
0: 14. Now, Tim is definitely a, a collector of lots and lots of Watford things. He definitely has one more object to come out in this, in this list. Uh, very much personalised, but I'll, I'll save that one for another time. The next object, Mike, he, 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 we're going to put in is, is pointless. You, you say a pointless Watford thing, is, is, there is no such thing. But I think that there really might be. We went on and I asked on our uh, Twitter, at Watford Podcast. Our social media is always there for, for you guys to get in touch and, and suggest to us some objects that might go into our list uh, is, there, is there anything you've been given as a Watford fan that's almost pointless Andy Smith said he got some Watford sweatbands or maybe needs to be a bit more running around Andy even though you did cycle all the way across Brazil why didn't you use them then Christopher Balcombe got a mug we can't put that in because number one we've already put a mug into this list uh, which clearly wasn't heat resistant because it shattered The minute he put his first cup of coffee into it, (laughs) Sarah Fiddley said she got some plastic Watford wristbands like the old charity ones. And five years later, they're still in their packet. Uh, And I'm not quite sure what this tells us about Bedford Hornet, Robbo, because he got a wine stopper. Now, I don't know if that means, Robbo, that you either don't drink and therefore don't need a, a wine stopper or you never leave half a bottle of wine. <laughs> it, it's two different sides. Well, I'm not quite sure. And also, column sent us, as, as many of you probably own, is a Watford against Manchester United home ticket from the FA Cup fourth round. That that never happened. Uh, he got that for a friend's fortieth so a bit of a rubbish present
1: I hope he got him something else 40th is quite a landmark event isn't it I hope he got him something else Colm for, for, for his 40th do get back in touch and let us know what his real present was unless you're trying to say that that is some sort of uh, historical item now the game that the game that never happened well we we haven't got a ticket in the list so maybe that could be a ticket Ooh. that we can put in this list unless anyone can beat
0: that one of course as, as, as I say get in touch with any ideas that you have but the best one for me was from chris i underscore am underscore hornet on twitter and he said he did get a rubbish present as a 28 year old man i received a (laughs) filofax and this dates it with matty vidra on the front and my name spelt incorrectly so if it was matty
1: Vidra on the front it's got to be at least post 2012 did did people use filofaxes at that point it's incredible, isn't it? Of what I love, absolutely love about the fact, aside from the fact that the filofax, I'm just trying to imagine having one in my hand now. It's such a demonstration of a, of a period of time, isn't it? That sort of all yuppie connotations and all that stuff. So getting it for a young 28-year-old in the, uh, in recent times is hilarious in itself. Matty Vidra on the front, I'm trying to work out how how he would that would be manifested on the, on the front, whether it would be a, a sort of tacky, uh, sort of almost like an iron-on um, image or whether it was embossed or, or anything like that so that that's got me got my mind going as well and, and and smiling but the last thing that's absolutely brilliant his name's chris and they spelt that wrong <laughs> and i can i just shock you here c-h-r-i-s i did that without looking up without checking <laughs> even i can spell chris so just maybe a it was multitude chris, maybe it was christopher
0: and they put an f in but maybe not doesn't matter the one that uh, is particularly and, and i think this really sums up A little bit about parents and mums trying to find presents for their children. So here's the object that Tim has suggested to go in for a pointless Watford present.
4: As a symbol of the futility of football merchandise, I'll give you the ashtray. It's quite a smart one, as it happens, made of some sort of brushed metal. But unlike the mug, it's never been used since I don't smoke and never have. Presumably my mother was struggling to find something to buy me for Christmas in the club shop. And this was all she could come up with. All the best, Tim Turner.
1: I'm going to stick up for for both parties here, whether it's the the parent or the or the person it was bought for, because that is exactly the sort of thing that I'd have asked for in as, as a kid, trailing around the Hornet shop as a youngster with my with my poor old mum and dad. Anything, and I repeat, anything with a Watford badge on it, and as a youngster was fair game as far as I was concerned. Ashtray, mug driving licence holder cigarette holder it could have been um, wine stopper any of those things that were mentioned that would have been no use to me as a sort of 10, 11 year old boy I would have wanted them because they had a Watford um, Watford badge on them so I'm going to stick up for both parties here but it does speak of uh, of just what, what football supporters and their, their families are like aren't they, we will take anything that is uh, branded with our beloved club Object 50
2: When not time.
0: This is our first, and probably not last, Elton John-related object. It's for the album Single Man, which was released in October 1978. On it was a song called Georgia, which is what you can hear in the background. So far, a bit uninteresting, yes, but it had the backing vocals in the chorus, was provided by the Watford Squad. It was featured on The Big Match on television which featured an interview with Elton and he was in great praise of left back John Stirk how many other clubs featured on a record that wasn't recorded for a cup final and in fact sounds pretty decent there weren't many good cup final songs we all pretty much know that so this object a copy of Sir Elton John's album Single Man and the song Georgia which was track 2 side 2 on that album
2: Object
0: 16. Now, this particularly, Mike, highlights the rule that you cannot have an object that's still in use. This is for an
1: anatomically correct Harry the Hornet. Harry the Hornet. I mean, what more can be said about Harry the Hornet than hasn't been already said? Well, we're about to find out. I think in so this harry the hornet i think it was sort of 97 ish we're talking and, and and if you can just picture in your mind's eye it was the harry hornet with the huge stingy bum bit it had the it had wings and it had four arms legs what are we calling them legs
0: i guess legs well if it if it, it, it should
1: have six because it have six? every
0: insect has six
1: well, legs of yeah so it, it had six somewhere. So it had the, the whoever was wearing it had two arms to it, and then t- four sort of dangling a little bit uh, uh, loosely elsewhere. But I love this the story behind it. Apparently, this is what <laughs> this is what we've been told by a uh, Harry the Hornet uh, insider slash aficionado. This was the second version of Harry the Hornet in the in the 90s, and was uh, was created after the the person who wore the the, the, the one before it. Basically, nicked the kit, nicked the outfit, didn't he? I think he apparently had a bit of a falling out with the uh, with the higher powers at the the club and uh, took his nest and took the uh, took the outfit elsewhere, which which left the club needing to come up with a with a new Harry the Hornet. And they're obviously sticklers for detail back then, and they came up with the uh, with the quite impressive um, version, the anatomically correct Harry the Hornet. It was, and that's I think why it's in, isn't it? The the attention to detail. We wouldn't swap the current Harry Harry the Hornet for anything, would we? Anyone that can uh, reduce a uh, a grown international footballer to, to tears is uh, is all right by me, but yeah, this one was um, it's probably the best thing about Watford at that, at that period of time, wasn't it? I suppose it was probably the uh, the, the sharpest looking thing uh, in the area at the time, but yeah, it was. Uh, look it up. We'll we'll post a picture on Twitter at some stage, but yeah, the anatomically uh, correct Harry the one. It was quite a. Um, Quite a long costume, wasn't it? There's quite a lot of moving parts, and it's certainly less cartoony than the uh, than the uh, than the current mascots you see these days. They're quite, I really like the attention to detail. So fair play to the uh, Watford marketing team, or whoever was or whoever was in charge of uh, mascot costume procurement at those times.
0: It's not the Harry Hornet that married Harriet Hornet. She'll return again later in this list, uh, but it is the Harry that uh, was in goal against Mister Blobby, um, which. Again, the things that, the, that, that the, the, <laughs> the, the, the Harry Hornet's had to do over the years uh, are, are very, I would expect, challenging um, for the people who, uh, who have been part of Harry. The, the, the current Harry, as we know, is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it uh, must be, of course, many football fans from across the country must feel very jealous of having such a uh, swanky dancing mascot that we have uh, in Harry. Anatomically correct Harry the Hornet from the mid-90s. A podcast made by Watford fans Fans for
2: Watford fans from the rookery end.
0: The next four items come from a friend of the podcast, Matt Rousen. Some of you may own his book, Watford on this day. Uh, Read his blog, be happy and probably, hopefully, read the amazing be sad.org which came out in the late mid to late 90s on the original Watford website it's a joy to read we'll we'll get to that one as well in the list we got Matt involved with this list uh, a few years ago to try and add some different sorts of objects I spoke to him this week to find out a bit more about those objects object 17 Matt you are the author of Watford on this day now think about three or four copies of it people keep giving it to me um it's a good little to read you like to pick up and, and have a look at but we, we came to you uh, because we wanted to have something that was more than just the the uh, the graham taylor era and beyond which is where we've been going with this list and the first one is a piece of transport
5: yes it was a steamship vera an occasion where watford were able to perform heroics of a of a different kind
4: I can remember it as if it were yesterday. It's a long time ago now, back in March 1899, that the Channel steamship, the SS Stellar, was on an early season crossing from Southampton to Guernsey. It hit the Cascades Reef near Aldney. There was fog that night, heavy, heavy fog, and it sank. It sank within 10 minutes with a loss of 77 lives. But fortunately, Some of the passengers managed to get into the lifeboats. Now, just to introduce myself, I was the captain of the SS Vera, making a similar journey to Jersey. On board, strangely, was the Watford Football Club reserve side who were planning to play a few friendly matches against some teams on Jersey. Well, we got the mayday from the Stellar and we were the closest ship to them. So we, uh, we went full steam ahead and... to their position and we found the Stella was gone but there were lifeboats many of them so i got the passengers up on deck including these Watford reserve footballers who were very fit i must say very fit indeed and i asked them if they would help us to get some of the survivors from the boats onto my boat the SS Vera they were quite willing very very public spirited they were in that moment And we managed to save 113 passengers and crew from the SS Stella from the lifeboats. 67 of them were hauled aboard by the Watford players and it was a proud day for them and it was a proud day for me as captain of the SS Vera. Little did we know that while we were up to our elbows in seawater pulling people out of lifeboats, the first team from Watford who, having abandoned their West Hearts moniker and had become Watford Football Club, beat Chesham 4-1 on that day in the Bucks and Contiguous Counties League at Cassio Road on the 31st. And they went on to beat Uxbridge 4-2 in the Southern League Division 2 a day later. I was commended by my company for bravery, and the Watford players each received a small medal from the company as a token of the respect for what they had done. Well, that's the story, and... But I remember the day, as I say, as if it were yesterday, And when I think of those Watford players leaning down in a chain from the deck of my ship to pull those poor people out of the boats, it brings a tear to my eye. Yes, it does. Well, thank you for listening.
0: Object 18. I'm aware, Matt, that Vicarage Road wasn't just used for football. There was until... The late 70s, a dog track there. But other events used to happen, like a gymkhana.
5: Yeah. I can't pretend that I can offer chapter and verse on how frequently this happened but certainly on one occasion in the late 1920s the Vicarage Road in the closed season hosted firstly a motorcycle football match Watford District Auto Club against West Bromwich MCC won 3-0 by the home side in inverted commas this was followed by a motorcycle Gymkhana which featured amongst other things participants eating buns suspended by the crossbar at either end of the pitch, whilst whilst mounted on their bicycles without using their (laughs) hands You picture the the pristine pitch that our ground staff carefully tend for us today, and you—the <laughs> world has changed a little bit in in ninety odd years.
0: Well, you say that there was a, a spell where uh, Saracens used to turn up and, uh, <laughs> and 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 do some not great stuff to the to the pitch at Vicarage Road, but I think that probably would have done a little a little bit worse. So, what item are we going to put in to the list from
5: the Jim Carner? It seems odd not to not to mention the motorbikes, but I would I would have thought the buns suspended from the crossbar. Is a is a wonderful, <laughs> a, what a captivating image. Definitely. So I, I would propose a I would propose a bun of variety of your choice.
0: <laughs> Object 19 For the second time in this episode, we've got a, a
5: got a mascot, but this time it isn't Harry. Yes, and it wasn't even someone dressed up. It was a a real live mascot from Norwich.
4: Yeah, all right there. Uh, My name's Al Fitch, and back in the day, I was the captain of Watford Football Club back in 1907, so it was. And uh, anyway, right, so we played this game up at Norwich, and as you know, they're called the Canaries. But what we didn't know was that they had an actual live canary as a mascot. So me and the lads thought it would be funny if, uh, well... To cut a long story short, if we nick said canary and brought it back to Watford. So yours truly as captain took on the responsibility of this onerous task and I snuck into the own dressing room after the match. And uh, and there it was, this little yellow bird in a cage. I put my hand in, grabbed hold of it and popped him in my pocket. We got the train back to London from Norwich and then we, we got a connection back up to Watford, got home very late and I still had this little bird. Anyway, what happened after that was amazing. We went on an unbeaten run, and that included beating the league leaders, Plymouth, 3-0. So we all thought, well, it's got to be this canary we've nicked, Yeah, like it was a lucky charm or something, like it was our mascot now. Anyway, we started winning game after game after game. And then, very, very sadly, just before we played West Ham, the canary died. We were all very, very upset, but we were all so nervous that our lucky charm had gone, and it might be a bad omen. Well, so it was. After that, we only won one game in 14 and we got absolutely thumped by QPR 3-0 and 5-0 by Spurs and all of our form just, just simply fell away and it was all because this little tiny yellow bird that we all loved that had become our little mascot had died and we knew it. We knew it. Now, I know that football players are superstitious. I used to put my left sock on before my right every single game. Never, never changed that. And... Obviously, we thought this canary had some sign of power over us and was helping us to win, but after he had gone, we, we just fell to pieces. It didn't help, of course, that Jack Foster was sold to uh, Sunderland after the West Ham game. 800 quid they paid for him. 800 quid. Can you imagine someone buying a player for that much money? It seemed incredible to us, but he was one of our better players, so maybe that was part of the reason, but I still think it was that little yellow bird that led to this terrible, terrible run.
2: Object
0: 20, Object twenty. the last one of this episode, is a very personal one to you, Matt. And, it, and it's significant because of a very first game for Watford. Not the very first game, you're not that old, are you? But the <laughs> first ever game in Europe. Now tell us, how, how, was, how did you get to go to the game? Because you would have been quite young. Oh,
5: I was 10. And it was Watford's first game in Europe. It was also my first game away from Vicarage Road. We'd moved to Germany towards the end of the previous season. And my dad being, you know, a young and excitable father himself, I remember him promising me as the UEFA Cup draw was made. And in my head, we watched it on German television. I don't know whether that's something I made up or whether that was real, but he promised me certainly that we would go to the game, whether it was back in Watford, whether it was Russia, Norway, Spain, whatever it was, a reckless thing to promise an obsessed 10 year old. But he, he got lucky because the draw took us to Kaiserslautern, which was only around 50 miles away. Um <laughs> And um, to Kaiserslautern we went And I was bought a, a pennant Which is still hanging on my notice board in my, in my study at home And Luther Blissett was playing for Milan at the time But he drove himself up through Switzerland To come and watch the game And he was, I have a mental image of him Munching away on an Apple and, and, and politely and patiently Signing all the things that were being thrust in front of him By the likes of me <laughs> um, so I still have this, this this pennant is my nomination for your series.
0: But that game, do you, you know, you used to attend, so you probably remember a bit about it. Was there a big excitement in terms from a Watford perspective, or or and and was it a very different experience in terms of being at an away game compared to what it would be like now?
5: It was certainly a, a, an exciting experience. I remember being quite low down. I think I don't think we had the best view of the game. Um, it was certainly unusual to me. Yeah, and in that sense, I know that. It's a very different thing going to an away game in any circumstances to a home game. When the first time you go to an away game, it is very different to being at Vicarage Road. So for me, at the age of 10, that was the distinction. This isn't Vicarage Road. There's no electronic scoreboard with dot matrix men jumping around. There's no, I don't have a green bucket to stand on. It was all different. So perhaps the gravity of the the occasion was a little bit lost on me in that respect. But there was no denying the excitement in the crowd. And I do remember that being palpable people who must have had a much longer journey than me, just being thrilled to be there and thrilled at what they were seeing. Albeit we had a very young team. We'd lost players. The new players that come in, likes of Maurice Johnston and George Riley, whether Johnston was quite there yet or not, they certainly hadn't been signed in, in time to play in the game. There was a, a cutoff by which they had to be signed to be eligible and they weren't. So we had a very, very young side. We had injuries as well. And Kaiserslautern were a very experienced team. They're struggling now. They've not been a top side in Germany for a few years. But back then, they'd knocked Real Madrid out of Europe the previous season. They had German internationals, um, Hans-Peter Briegel, who was an absolute brute, and Andreas Bremer, who went on to score the winning goal in the in the 1990 World Cup final. They were not common and garden German team. They were a very, very strong side. So to come out of that game 3-1 was no small achievement. Jimmy Gilligan's goal was celebrated almost as an afterthought in it. Proved to be significant in the in the longer term when it came to the second leg.
0: Because this object is particularly for that first game uh, in Germany, yeah. but the, the, the return leg is is again is one of those. You know, We've already talked about the the seven one game, one of these all time Watford. I was there uh, matches. Did you get to that game? No, I wasn't
5: there. <laughs> I wasn't there for that one. But I've got the mental image of Ian Richardson lying on his back with his arms stuck above his head. Yeah, it's clear in my mind, as in anyone else's. I'm not sure whether he played in the first game or whether I think I have a feeling the second leg was actually his, his full debut. He's certainly one of those two games, and, it, and of course he got two goals that night. And I don't think it was. You know, someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a feeling that he was managing the um, the fruit and veg section in Tesco's in Watford not not long afterwards. I mean, certainly he had a, he had a career, but certainly didn't have a, a, a top flight um, football career. But yeah, that one night at Vicarage Road.
3: Barnes on and Richardson. And it's there, Ian Richardson, on his first team debut for Watford, has scored after four minutes the early goal they wanted. Here's Palmer, driven in low, all oh, and against to number four, a goal. Meltzer, it's 2-0, and the aggregate is level. Played in early for Richardson to slide in. Well, I'd say... What a brilliant goal, his second of the match. And it looked so simple, but it was beautifully contrived.
5: They won the tie by three goals to nil, again with an extraordinarily young side. I have a feeling that Ian Bolton played that night. So you had a mixture of, of players who were very, very young. You know, a large number of kids coming through made their debut in those and in subsequent games in the, in the European run. Nigel Gibbs made his debut Against Prague, I think a couple of rounds later. But you also had the veterans like Pat Rice and and Ian Bolton and you know Steve Sherwood, who you know not all of whom certainly Bolton wouldn't have been a first choice by that stage, but but needs must. And so it was a real case of cellotaping a team together and achieving something obviously quite remarkable.
0: for won that tie against Kaiser uh, The following tie against
5: Levski Spartak Sofia, winning 3-1 in in Sofia in front of. 60-odd thousand I think
0: uh, and then it was it was an icy pitch that brought us to an end in Europe in yeah an, an icy
5: pitch and a large number of goals from memory I think <laughs> I think we lost we lost both the games but I've had Nigel Gibbs talk about this more than once about how it was virtually unplayable in Prague and we were quite heavily beaten um, by a very proficient sign
0: Mike we're up to number 20 we've still got 80 to go Uh, 50 that we sort of know about but we still need to find those final 30 they've got to be pretty spectacular haven't they
1: they have. This is like uh, there's 100 objects, but 100 interesting and, and unique objects we're looking for. But I have absolutely no doubt, as I said at the top of the show, people are going to be turning this sort of stuff um, up all, all as, a, as the days go past with us in lockdown. People are going to be looking through lofts and that sort of stuff and memories are going to be jogged, hopefully by the 20 objects we've talked about so far, over the 200 objects podcast we've done so far. Some great memories, some great objects, and I think they'll they'll probably jog a few memories. So, yeah, just get thinking. Anything to do with Watford, anything to do with your life as a Watford supporter any stories or anecdotes that you might have heard that might involve a, an object get in touch we, uh, we want to make it a collaborative effort this 100 objects we're all Watford fans together and uh, I think together we can make quite an incredible list here
0: get in touch via our different modes of social media at Watford Podcast on Twitter Instagram and on Facebook but also email us podcast
1: at thank you so much for listening thank you very much Mike no problem. It's been a real pleasure, actually. This this episode in particular, just listening, certainly to listening to Matt at the end there, talking about Watford getting into Europe. What, a, what an absolutely magical experience! And that clip, the commentary there of the um, of the second leg at Vicarage Road, just the noise coming from you know Vicarage Road wasn't known as a as a noisy ground back then, but the, the atmosphere. I wasn't there. I wasn't old enough to be there at that stage. But it just so evocative, and and just hearing stories like that, and just being reminded of our link with Elton John and the seven one. Come back against Southampton. That brilliant, brilliant night at, at, at Peterborough. Incredible stories, just incredible. If you scratch under the surface of your football club, there is so much pleasure to be uh, be part of this series. And uh, thanks to everyone for, for for getting involved, and please continue to do so. Objects 21-30 to will be next week's From the Rookery End.
0: Thank you very much for listening and thank you very much if you've listened to Colin's live, but not really live, commentary of the Watford games. Just had Norwich uh, and, of course, the next game against Newcastle will be out for next Saturday afternoon. Just put it on, relax and imagine Watford are playing. It's an escape, but it's also uh, just trying to remember what a normal Saturday might feel like. Thanks for listening and come on you horns.